by moment. Thank you for your love from flows from Calvary. Thank you that we have this morning to be together, to look into your word, to allow it to speak to our hearts. We just want to bow before you this morning and allow you to be God in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, praise the Lord. We're looking into the word of God, about the word of his power and the power of his word. And it's been a wonderful study as we've come through the life of Jesus to see what his words were and how we've been talking so much about how our words create the atmosphere that we live in. And um, our words are seeds, like seeds that get planted today and raise a harvest, uh, grow a harvest uh, in the future, <laughs> tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And we want that harvest to be good, don't we? And so that means um, we must pay attention to the words that are coming out of our mouths because we want them to be words of faith and words of words that will bring forth a good harvest. That's all there is to it. It's pretty simple, isn't it? And um, we were looking into the book of Acts now, and um, what we're doing in uh, what we've done in some of the other uh, books of the Bible and Jesus' life, we kind of took our time, went through everything. Now we're kind of looking at the places where it talks about the word, the spoken word. Um, actually, in the book of Acts, we see how Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he spoke, he, he preached a powerful sermon. And the word that he preached that day reap, uh, caused a great harvest of souls to respond and believe the word that he spoke. And he spoke with boldness. And then we come, um, let's see. They were, then they were brought before the, um, scribes and Pharisees, pretty much, and they they told them, well, we have to obey God rather than man, and they wanted them to stop speaking, and they were like, Mm-mm, no, that's not happening. We're not going to stop speaking. We're going to keep on speaking in the name, of, it was in the name of Jesus that they wanted them to stop. Oh, sorry. And um, uh, they said, no, we won't, we won't stop. And you figure it out, whether we should obey you or we should obey God. And um, so then they went back together and they prayed with those. They they gave a report to those who, uh, you know, the rest of the disciples. And the Holy Spirit was outpoured again upon them. And we know that our words are useless without the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The power of the Holy Spirit is what gives the backing, the punch, <laughs> the the strength to our words. And so we need that, don't we? We need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I love the book of Acts for that fact because the Holy Spirit, you see the Holy Spirit at work in every single chapter in a different way. You can't put them in a box. It's uh, all different scenarios, all different things happening. And so it is in our lives, you know, as we walk along. Um, all different things happen from in the span of your lifetime. You find yourself in various situations, but the power of the Holy Spirit is the same day in and day out, and it's available to us. It's our resource, and we don't have the answers in ourselves, but we have this wonderful resource that we can go to and say, please give me the wisdom, show me, teach me, lead me, instruct me. 
And if we're willing to listen and be obedient, he will. And we've talked a number of times also about how important it is that we know his voice, that we know his voice, and that we don't, um, there's so much in the world today that is mixed up, and um, there's so many voices in our world, and most of those voices are not God's voice, and we really need to know the difference, and that takes diligence, and it takes, uh, we have to really walk with God in order to know the difference between God's voice and the voice, all the other voices that are clamoring for our attention. We have a real enemy, and he really wants to deceive us and to uh, make us to walk in ways that are not good. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And for everything real and true and genuine that God has, he has a counterfeit for. And so we must be very careful. All right, so today we come to the sixth chapter in Acts. And in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And now here we have something that we are all tempted with continually, murmuring and complaining. If you are around people who complain a lot, you will before long start complaining. And we have it in our world. No matter what season it is, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's raining, it's snowing, and just about simple thing like the weather, we can fall into the same rut of complaining at every every season. Well, we have to check ourselves, and we have to say, wait a minute, I need, the Bible tells me I need to be thankful. I need to have a thankful spirit. I need to praise God continually. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. We have to learn to stop ourselves. And I, I just use that because that's a really simple example for us to recognize, whoops, yeah, maybe I am complaining all the time. And there's other areas in our lives. And if, you know, if you work with people who are always um, complaining about the employer, you know, pretty soon you can find yourself really complaining about the employer or in the church or, or wherever you are, whatever, you know, groups, groups, groups you're in. It can, it can come into your family where suddenly, you know, everybody's complaining. And it's a spirit. And we have to fight against that. We have to guard against that because that has to do a lot with our words, doesn't it? And it tears down. It tears us down. And we need to stop it. We just need to stop it. That's all. We need to stop it and we need to replace it with thanks and with praise to our God. No matter what is causing us to... Um, to be negative and to be, to be complaining and murmuring and finding fault or whatever it is. And here we have it in this chapter, okay? There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now we had read, uh, before this that, you know, they started to all take care of one another and, um, have all things in common. And so, now somebody, well, one, one group was saying, well, what about our widows? Those widows are well taken care of, but ours aren't being so, you know, they forgot. And then there was this, you know, 
Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now they understood that their mission, their their focus was to be the ministering of the word of God and that they weren't to be the ones. Good morning, Jeff. Happy birthday. Yeah. They weren't to be the ones to um, go around and serve food to, 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 to the widows at this point in time. And so then the twelve called the multitude and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now they weren't saying this is not important and we don't want to have this taken care of. But they were saying, this is not what we are supposed to do. We need others to come along and to to fill this need. And this is how the body of Christ operates. It doesn't make them better than or more important than all of the body, as we have the illustration in the word for us, is important, right? The ear, the finger, the toe, the, the arm, the whatever, every part is important. And so that's not the issue here. It's just that they, that was not to be what they were to do. There was to come others to help. And that's how God always puts it together. That there's, there's, there's some that do this, some that do that, some that do the other part. And all together we make up the body of Christ. And not to be jealous and fighting and I'm better than this one and I'm better than this one, and you're you're the you know. And if he would only do what I think he should do, then everything would be great. No, we gotta we've got to serve God with humility and with tenderness and with um, as we bow before Him and value each and every one in the body of Christ because they are blood bought, and God has a place for each one of us. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men full of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom may, we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so we see here that um, <clears throat> they want men here, they want people here to serve the in the daily ministration who are spirit-filled. They were going to be um, doing soup kitchen and ministering to, you know, the need, the physical needs of of people. And the apostles wanted them to be spirit filled. And we see that, you know, that's was important. It's important. And everything we do, when we get this in our in our hearts and minds, it changes our whole life. That everything we do. No matter whether it's soup kitchen or scrubbing our floor or making a meal or cleaning an office or whatever we're doing, we are serving the Lord Christ. He's the one who's looking to see how we're doing it. And um, when we get that in our hearts, it changes our whole life. It changes our whole existence. And so... Um, that's really an important piece of, of, of how we serve the Lord. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip 
and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on him. And the word of God increased. And the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So we see as they did this, that the ministry was increased because they were now able to focus solely on prayer and, and uh, sharing the word. And these people who were anointed and set apart and, and um, blessed for this ministry, they were doing it with, with, they were doing it with excellence, clearly. And so people were believing and coming to the Lord. There was fruit from it. And this is another thing that we test that we can look at our lives too and say, well, is there any fruit? Is there, is there any results from what I'm doing? Am I, is God, is God doing anything? And of course, He always is if, when we're serving Him. And the Word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And I just emphasize that again because often we think, of the priests and the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, like they totally missed it. But we see a number of times that it says that many of the priests or many of the Jews believed on him. And we can't forget that, you know, there, yeah, of course there were some that didn't and they were the vocal ones, uh, just like in our world, right? We have the negative stuff and all of the foul stuff that's very, very vocal and and then there's a lot of good that you don't hear about. And so here too, there were a lot of priests and a lot of um, the Jews that actually did believe on Jesus. And after a while understood, you know, the, after all, the disciples were connecting the dots, telling them, you know, Jesus was the fulfillment and he's your our Messiah. And, and they were getting it. It was making sense. And now they were starting to, to understand. And so we can't forget that there were many that did believe. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now he was one that was um, set aside to serve tables. And yet as he served, he was ministering, ministering to the needs of the people spiritually as well. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them disputing with Stephen. Here we go with words again, okay? Disputing. And you know, there's people, we all know people that they'll dispute with you all day long over over scripture or over some theological, you know, point, but it does not ever change their heart. No matter how long you engage in dispute with them, it's futile and it wastes your time in the long haul and it goes nowhere. And it, it's sad, but true. So we have to know, we have to know when people are seriously when people really have questions and really want to know, you you know you know that because that's a whole different that's a whole different conversation than when someone is just challenging you and and you know just trying to prove you're wrong all the time, just trying to prove that you know God isn't who He said He is, and you know your the, your theology is all wrong, and so on and so forth. 
Well, isn't it wonderful that sometimes we can just be simple enough to believe that God is who he said he is. And, yeah, sometimes we can't figure it all out. Our minds aren't big enough to understand it all. And there's no surprise there because he's God. He created the universe. And, um, yeah, might, there might be some things I might not be able to figure out. That, that might actually be true. But we don't have to spend our lives just disputing those things. We need to live our lives living what we understand and walking with God because there's so much that we do get and we do know. And so here we have them. You know, they, they were back here in the earliest church, okay? They were disputing. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spake. And, he, you know, he was so filled with the wisdom of God that even some of them were getting getting saved. And then they suborned men. They they forced, that means, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses. And they were angry because they wanted to win this argument. And they stirred up the people. And you know how easy it is to stir up a crowd, right? And the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. They were twisting his words. Oh, we, we're familiar with that kind of stuff. That goes on in our world quite a bit, doesn't it? And all that sat in council looked steadfastly on him, and his face was that it has been the face of an angel. And then Stephen preaches <clears throat> this amazing, amazing sermon. And he goes through the whole history <laughs> of the Israelites. And he, he, it, it's really something. He really goes on and on and on and on. And I guess being that it was his last sermon, he wanted to get as much in as he possibly could. I'm not sure he knew at that point it was his last sermon. Read it when you have time. And then he in chapter 7, verse 51, he says to them, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they, he had given such a, a, a convincing, he so totally got it. And we, we know that that, all, that happened through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, he was not one of the twelve. He was not one of the ones who was closest to Jesus. Uh, apparently he had been alive at the time. And perhaps he had heard some of Jesus' teachings. But clearly he had gotten the teachings of the disciples that, that connected the Old Testament prophecies and explained who Jesus was. He clearly got it. If you read that sermon, and, and you should read it, read it, you, you see that he totally got it. And he, now he says to them, you are always resisting. As the, as your forefathers did, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Here he doesn't step away from the truth, does he? He says, you betrayed him and you murdered him. That's pretty blunt. It's pretty out there, isn't it? who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. In other words, and you were entrusted with the revelation of God to the world. 
Truly, that was the truth, wasn't it? God had chosen the the nation of Israel to show the world who God was. The tabernacle, right? There he revealed himself and he started to promise. Messiah is coming and the tabernacle pointed to Jesus and so on and so forth. And they had been entrusted with the demonstration of who the living God was. And their their lifestyle and their the way God led them and, and helped them and protected them was supposed to be a testimony to all of the enemies around them and all the nations around them that there's a living God. And maybe we should go join them because that's really powerful stuff over there. <laughs> And they had been entrusted. God had chosen them through because of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Okay? They had been entrusted with the revelation of God to the world. And so have we. We have been entrusted as, you know, because of the cross, the door was opened for us to come in and be uh, grafted in as sons into the Father's house. And we have been entrusted with a representation of who God is, that we can show that in the world, and we must represent him well. And um, we have an awesome responsibility to show to the world that our God is alive and that he's real. And um, so he's saying to them, you've had this entrusted to you. You've you've been people of privilege, in other words. You've been people of privilege. And Jesus did say that, you know, to whom much is entrusted, much will be required. And, you know, we don't like to hear that because that puts some responsibility squarely on our own plates, doesn't it? But that is what the Word says. And so we need to be careful how we handle the Word of Truth. Okay, so he says this to them, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, and you have not kept him. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Always we have an opportunity to respond. When we hear something that cuts us, that speaks to our heart, we have a choice. We have a choice to to bow and to say, yes, Lord, I repent. I need that word. I need to change. Help me. I want to change. Or we rise up and we say, well, that's for, you know, it would be a pitchfork Christian. That's for her. That's for him. I hope she was listening. I hope he was listening. Or we say, huh, who do they think they are saying that? Ah, we have a choice. We have a choice. And that choice is squarely ours. And we can do with it what we want, but we are people of privilege. And God is going to hold us accountable. And so when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. You see, it's not enough just for something to prick us and make us a little uncomfortable. we got to do something. A response is required. A response is required. Always when God deals with us, speaks to us, we know we've heard his voice. Our response is required. And they were cut to the heart, and their response was they gnashed on him with their teeth. Whoa. And he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. 
and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And when they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. What a picture. They, I mean, they actually stopped their ears, put their fingers in their ears or whatever, whatever. Imagine that kind of response to the word of God. God forbid. You know, we may not do it like this, but we can do it, can't we? We can, we can close our ears and we can say, not listening to that. We have a choice. Always we have a choice and we have to be careful that we are receptive to God's voice and to his word, no matter, no matter, no matter what it's saying to us, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us, because it's God's mercy, as pastor says so often, when we repent, it's a doorway to blessing. We repent, we receive God's word, we humble ourselves. It, it brings us out into this amazing place that we never thought we could get to. Or we were wondering all this time, why is it so hard for me? Why am I not where I want to be? Why hasn't this happened? Why hasn't that happened? Well, maybe there's something that God's been trying to get through to our hearts that we are have not been willing to receive. And we need to stop and we need to say, okay... Lord, what am I missing? I'm sorry. Remind me. Maybe I'm being dense here. Maybe I don't want to see it. Help me. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I want to receive even correction. People, you don't correct the whole neighborhood's children, right? You have your own children. You correct them because you love them. You don't go around the whole um, Berwick, Danville, Bloomsburg, correcting everybody else's children usually, right? <laughs> I know we, have, we live in a world, strange world where some people do some pretty weird things. But I mean, typically, typically, you don't, you don't go and correct and take a lot. It, correction and discipline takes a lot of time and effort and, and emotional energy. It drains you, right? And you don't generally do that with somebody that you really don't care about. <laughs> That's reserved for those who you really love. And this is what we have such a hard time understanding from God, is that if he corrects and disciplines us, that it's actually his love for us to keep us in the way of truth and to keep us in a place of blessing. And it brings us, it leads us on and up and out and into whole different realms when we allow God's correction and instruction and rebuke and reproof into our lives. And so, again, it takes humility and it takes that understanding that God loves me no matter what. He loves me. And it's not just a touchy-feely Nice, nice, nice kind of love that I'm talking about. It's the real deal. The real deal. Amen. All right. And so here, you know, they are so pricked and so aggravated by the truth that what do they decide to do? They decide to pick up stones and kill the man. Kill the prophet. Wow. Wow, you know, we, we, you hear that 
people say, use that, that expression even in the world. Don't kill the messenger. I'm just the messenger when they have to tell you something that is they don't think you, you want to hear. And they're like, don't shoot me. I'm just the messenger. Well, here he was the messenger and he was being true to the words that God had given him. But they, they stoned him. He became the first martyr. And there have been many more through the years. There are many today that are still being martyred because of their faith. And we forget about that because it's an inconvenient truth. But it is a truth. And there are many that are today being martyred today, today. And we are supposed to pray and care about those who are being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And here Jesus reveals himself. He sees the Lord stand. Many say that the reason he was standing was to receive him because he was being martyred for his sake. And he cried, as Jesus cried out, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep in death. And so we see here that sometimes the word of life, the word of life brings division, doesn't it? Well, we saw that all through Jesus' life. It brings division. Some believe, some don't believe. Uh, some made them so angry they want to kill him. This is the truth. This is what happens as we, and this is, not, this is often a response, even in an unspoken way, as people see our lives and they see things happening in our lives and they see God's blessing on our life or they see, they, they, they see something and they don't know exactly what it is and it, 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 it stirs them up or pricks them, makes them angry, it makes them jealous. It, you know, you think, oh, that person doesn't like me. No, it's not, it's not you. It's not about us. You know, we gotta keep that thought in our brains. Really, really fastened tightly. <laughs> it's not about us. It's about the God who lives inside of us. And it's about what they see going on that they can't explain, they can't put their hand on, they don't have. And so there, it makes them uncomfortable. And there's, there's that, there's that response. It's either negative or positive. And we have to understand that. We have an enemy. And this is, this is what's going on. It's not a personal thing. It's not about us. And the sooner we learn that, the, easier it is i think to to live and so we have to we have to understand that we have to understand it's not just about us and we see here if, if you continue there in the beginning of the 8th chapter that saul was consenting unto his death at the time there was great persecution against the church now saul was there when stephen is martyred and of course he was on the side with those who hated the message that he delivered and this seems to have been something that incited within Saul even greater hatred for these Christians. And he purposed in his heart to go after them. And he was consenting unto his death, it says. In another place, maybe here too, it says that he... Um, he was, they threw, he was like minding their coats. They took, they took off their coats to stone the guy, you know, their outer coats. And, uh, we have to be careful what we consent to in this world. This is another aside. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we can become silent consenters to things and we don't speak up. And that's not a good thing either. There's, there's a time to speak up and to let it be known 
that we don't consent with sin. We don't consent with what's going on. And, um, you know, this certainly had an impact in his life. And he, he, from this point on, pursued the Christians and persecuted them as a terrorist. We would call him a terrorist in our world. We've just recently had this horrible thing happen in Arizona, right? And, I mean, it was like that kind of stuff. He would go into their homes, at, literally, and drag them out and, and to kill them, the, the Christians, Paul would. So, I mean, and here we had a crazy man, right? I mean, we would have called him a terrorist. We would have literally called him a terrorist. And he was doing this. He was. He thought he was serving God in the highest form imaginable. So, you know, it's something when you stop and pause and think about about what he was doing. And... Um, Wow, I tell you, it's something. The Word of God is something else, isn't it? <laughs> and so let's understand that our words always, you know, bring division. The Word of God and the Word of God living in us, Jesus living in us, Jesus is the Word. So it brings it brings division. Sometimes it brings contention. Um, let's make sure that what it brings in our hearts is contrition, <laughs> that we bow and that we always want to allow the Word of God to change us and to speak to our need. We can't see our needs. So many times we're blind to our own needs. And we really need the Holy Spirit to come and to reveal to us what our need is. And so may we keep ourselves in that place, walking humbly with our God. Lord, we thank you so much for your Word to our hearts this morning. And Lord, we truly love your Word and we want to be true to your Word. And we ask that you do help us, that we will come humbly before you over and over again, allow you to speak to us and show us what we need, correct us, rebuke us, chasten us according to your word, Lord, because we know that your extravagant blessings lay on the other side of all of that. And we thank you and give you honor and praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.